0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Our first obstacle um, to overcome in order to embrace a spiritual warfare worldview is to first recognize we carry a Western worldview. Okay, A worldview is your paradigm, your perspective, how you live and interact in the world. And perspective is everything. Your worldview is everything. It shapes how you feel at times. It shapes the condition of your heart at times. And it shapes how you interact with those around you. Quick example. um, A couple years ago, I was flying back from Montana on a pastor's retreat. We were flying through Seattle to LAX. And when I got to Seattle, I had a, a short window to get to my next flight. And as we were coming into land, I turned on my phone to see that it, it was 2.37 p.m. And my flight to LAX left at 2.45. So if, you, if you're like me, I suffer from hurry sickness. But I immediately was filled with panic, anxiety, anxiety and absolute chaos because I began to imagine myself. I actually first started looking. As soon as I saw, I started looking at the flight attendant, trying to get her attention, letting her know that I was more important than everyone else. And I was, I was thinking through the conversation I was going to have with the people around me as I grabbed my bag down and basically trampled on little kids to get to the front as we exited and departed the plane. I, I was filled with panic. I literally saw that scene from Home Alone where they're running through the airport. You know, and it's like, Kevin, or whatever. I was like that guy trying to get to the flight. And... Our flight lands, I'm panicked. I turn my phone on, uh, air, off airplane mode to call Alex to get online to get a new flight because I knew there's no way I was going to make it to the next area to, or the next plane to get, to get back home. And as I begin to dial, the time changed from 2.37 to 1.37 because there was a time zone we went over and there was an hour difference between Montana and Seattle and my perspective changed. I was exuding to all my passengers anxiety, fear, chaos, craziness, anger, rage. You could just throw all of that in there to, oh, I'm good. To to the point where I like moseyed off the plane, got a cup of coffee and sat and waited for the next plane to get home. Because perspective is everything. We have to recognize that we carry all sorts of um, theological philosophical paradigms that shape the way we interact in the world. Since the beginning of the Enlightenment um, in the 18th century, rationalistic scientific worldview assumed there is no reality beyond natural material universe. If something cannot be measured and observed in a laboratory, uh, it does not exist. So the materialistic worldview has so affected Western Christianity that we automatically regard the work of the supernatural with skepticism. And rule out the world of angels and demons with no further need for discussion. This is where we, what we've inherited um, for centuries. So one author, Charles Crafts, says this. Isn't it interesting and discouraging to note that even though we are Christians, our basic assumption, our assumptions are usually more like those of non-Christian Westerners around us than we would like to admit. Even though there is wide discrepancy between teaching, Teaching of scripture and the common western assumptions. We often find ourselves more western than scriptural. Western societies passed through the renaissance, the reformation, the enlightenment. And a wide variety of, of ripples and spin-offs from those movements. The result, God and the church were dethroned. And the human mind came to be seen as savior. It is ignorance, not Satan, we are to fight. Don't, wouldn't you agree? With this statement. One of the things that I've been wrestling with is how secular my life really is. How secular most of our lives as Christians, it really is. Our lives have become secularized, it mean, meaning we don't really possess, many of us, we don't walk around with the power of Christ in us, the way we were intended to live. You see, I was noticing this um, recently, and I'll, I'll come back to it. But I, was, uh, I preached at our friend's church in, in Santa Monica, vintage in, uh, in Santa Monica for my friend Gare. He's preached here a few times. He preached when I was on a sabbatical, so I said I would do it for him. The difference is we, he, we have two services, and he has four services in Santa Monica. So I was exhausted. But I preached 9, 10, 11, and 6. Crazy ministry. It was amazing. But Monday morning, because I got home at like 10 p.m., and remember, I have a little one. So I was up early with my, my newborn. And I, I, was, I was exhausted. I was beat. I was angry. I was impatient. And, um, and that kind of set off a bad week. And what I mean by a bad week, Alex and I fought a bunch. We argued. We bickered. We were comparing what we were doing. Um, Ezra was acting up like crazy. He was just disobeying. And, and, and it, was, it was more so than normal, and there 's little you know he 's three and a half, so it 's totally fine uh, when he doesn 't listen all the time, but we, are, we have read all the books, we have all sorts of books we 've practiced different parenting techniques, we, we have been disciplined with our boy, and even in our marriage and we came to church last Sunday, and Bill preached, and Alex and I were so convicted actually during communion we 're like, what are we doing we're literally we 're constantly like this in our marriage. I just, I just did the spiritual thing that probably has supernatural, you know, spiritual warfare attached to it. I was praying for all sorts of people. Our marriage is off. Our parenting is off. Ezra's acting off. And all of a sudden we realized like, we need to, one, we're sinners. We need to confess. We need to just get right back with Jesus. And we did that. We prayed for each other, released all of that, forgave each other. And then Ezra was still acting up. And I just felt like the spiritual component to our marriage was, like, was there and we were on the same page. But the next morning, we're like realizing we need to really come at Ezra. How do, we, how do we parent him? So I'm like, we prayed. I'm like, I'm gonna go on a run. I'm just gonna ask, I'm gonna talk to God. So I went on a run and like halfway through, I'm like, God, I just, I need you to like tell me how to, how to parent this moment. And literally he just downloaded specific things. I was like, I was like writing it down. I stopped running. I read it down. I text Alex. It was like paragraphs and paragraphs. And so we came back, we prayed, all right. And then we disciplined Ezra this particular way one time. And since then, he's just been on point. And I realized in that moment, I was parenting as a secular parent. Our marriage, we were, we were, we've gone to therapy, and I believe in therapy, I believe in all that stuff, but how many of our marriages have the, the center, Christ at the center, where we're coming together praying for the activity that God, so that we could be a husband or a wife to this spouse for this season, in this time. We're, we're asking the Spirit of God to empower us to be parents to each kid uniquely as they are. This is what we're designed to do, partner with God in how we live our lives. But I just feel like so many of us, we just kind of have this default setting and we just check out. Are you with me? So, uh, some of you, because this is my, this is me. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about all the ways I'm checking out. I'm defaulting on Instagram and social media. There's nothing wrong with those things unless they're keeping us from God's activity. We'll talk about how the enemy uses that in a second. So, um, I, I just recognize that we've really, in some ways, it's just following the secular world. Uh, uh, Francis McNutt says this. He says, to the extent that we no longer realize the reality of the supernatural power of of the demonic realm against which we are powerless in our own unaided humanity. We no longer sense the need for a savior, for Jesus. Even for many professing Christians, Jesus has become become simply an excellent teacher of values, among many other teachers like Confucius and the Buddha. This is the major problem with the New Age movement. And I want to add the liberal Christian progressive movement. This is the danger. It fails to recognize the reality of the supernatural dimensions of evil and affirms that human beings are good and have tremendous untapped potential for growth if only they can discover how good they are and rid themselves of shame. Consequently, there is a new age system of thought. No real need for a savior. They see Jesus simply as a good man bringing a wonderful message of love for the human race. I think this is the problem with progressive Christian liberal theology it does away with uh, with the supernatural realities that are at work, strongholds and powers and principalities that are at war against us and God's way of life on earth as it is in heaven. And to quote C.S. Lewis from Screwtape Letters, a classic, he says this, There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail to... To uh, hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. In other words, we think the demons cause everything. There's a demon behind your cold, a demon behind your car accident, a demon behind every negative thought. And then we don't believe in it at all. And both are air. And we both fall air in both, right? So I'm going to teach us the biblical worldview, the spiritual warfare worldview. A spiritual warfare assumes there is cosmic spiritual battle going on there are invisible spiritual beings that force uh, that forces and excuse me there are invisible spiritual beings and forces that oppose God's activity in God's kingdom this is what it means to have a spiritual warfare worldview so in order for us to get get here i want to look at the old testament and then we'll read some passages in, in the new testament we'll end in ephesians where we last we took off where we ended last week and next week i'm going to look at Jesus' ministry Um, Because if you read the Gospels, it's so funny, I've been thinking about this. How do we get to this liberal agenda where there are no spiritual realities working against us? If you read the Gospels, Mark summarizes all of Jesus' ministry as preaching the kingdom and deliverance. Luke summarizes Jesus' ministry as preaching the kingdom, healing, and deliverance. John summarizes Jesus' ministry as destroying the works of the devil. How do we get as Christians, if we are to read just the Gospels away from the reality of what Jesus has come to do and what he invites all Christians to participate in, his ministry. So we have to, we have to embrace this. Are you guys with me? Yeah. All right, so this side is, that's great. Um, what's up, guys? What's up over here? You were the highly favored side at one point. I come back and you guys are just checking out or what? We'll talk about it later. So um, one of the fascinating differences between the Old Testament and New Testament is that uh, while the New Testament has a great deal of exorcisms and evil spirits, there is very little mention of evil spirits in the whole of the Old Testament. Nowhere in the Hebrew Old Testament does Satan appear as the distinctive demonic force opposed to God and responsible for all evil. So we carry this perspective uh, from really uh, culture and the media but there are all sorts of Old Testament metaphors and allusions that refer to the evil and cosmic forces opposing God's way of life. There, there's mention in Job of a Leviathan. You read about the Leviathan in Psalms and Job and some of the prophets. The Leviathan represents a cosmic warfare that's going on, enemies of God. Raging seas are always metaphors for the hostile environment that creation has undertook since the fall of creation. Uh, judging the gods, sons of gods, or the adversary. You read about this in the Old Testament. And perhaps the most famous is found in the book of Job, where there's a mention of Satan. But the word Satan is really just a title in Hebrew it's the Satan or the accuser. And he's part of God's um, uh, council, heavenly council. He's seen as like a prosec- uh, uh, prosecuting attorney. So he's not the, you know, pitchfork, red tail and horn, you know, picture of Satan that we possess in, in our own mind. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 16, I'm just going to give you a couple of quick snapshots. So that's kind of summarizing lots of the Old Testament. I'm going to anchor us in Daniel chapter 10. Um, so 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, it says this. Uh, now the Spirit of the Lord had departed Saul from Saul. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God went to particular people in particular time for specific purposes in the new testament it's for everyone 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 anyone and everyone at all times but the spirit of god left Saul and an evil spirit from the lord torment, tormented him so as Saul's attendants noticed this see an evil spirit from god is tormenting you let our lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play worship music basically and he will play and when the evil when the evil spirit comes on you and you will feel better and then in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, I just encourage you to go there so you know um, that these are passages in Scripture. It says that Satan um, rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census. So Satan causes something that shouldn't have happened. And as a result, God sends a curse on Israel. But then there's this book, Daniel. And now Daniel is part kind of a historical and part apocalyptic. And in Daniel chapter 10, there's this fascinating passage that has wrecked my view of God and how the world works. And this wrecked it years ago, but I want to read it to you because I'm, I'm very excited to wreck some of your faith. And um, that, was, that was a joke. Come on, you, you guys can laugh over here too, okay? So I know you're with me. God bless you guys. So uh, after praying and fasting in Daniel 10 for three weeks, Daniel fasts and prays for three weeks because God gave him this vision, this dream. And he fasts and prays for discernment. And finally, after three weeks, an angel comes to him and, and discusses the vision with him. The angel reassures Daniel that his prayer had been immediately heard by God the moment he started praying. And he was immediately dispatched by God to come instantly and answer his prayer. But, but unfortunately, there was a certain evil cosmic force that the, an, that the angel that's delivering this message identifies as the prince of the kingdom of Persia that resisted his prayer being answered. So we pick up in Daniel 10. Let's just read it for ourselves. Verse 12. This is the angel speaking to Daniel. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. I know you're hungry. Um, Then Michael, one of the chief chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Verse 20, he goes on and he says, So he said, Do you uh, know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. So there's no debate among the scholars what Daniel refers to as princes. They are spiritual beings who oversee various territories of earth. Angels. And the account depicts some sort of angelic battle that took place behind the scenes of physical reality. Were it not for the revelation given by the angel, neither Daniel nor anyone else would have known that there was an unseen battle. God's messenger, the angel, got held up for three weeks while he tried to deliver this message. And Michael, this archangel, archangel, comes to defeat the kingdom, or the, the prince of Persia, the angel overseeing this territory, so that the other angel could deliver the message of God. That's crazy. Is there else, can we just say it's weird? Yeah. This is so bizarre because it destroys my Sunday school view of God. It raises all sorts of questions about God and the way this world actually works. Like for example, do certain evil cosmic beings really possess the power to disrupt a plan of God to answer a prayer? Chew on that for five minutes. Can transcendent evil beings negatively affect us in the way uh, similar to those who have power and authority over us here on earth? Like people that have authority like our bosses and the mayor and governors and the president, kings and queens who have authority over us. Can, can those, those people can affect how we live by the dec- decisions they make? Can, can spiritual beings that are above us and below God affect us in the same way? is it really the case that whether we hear from God might not have to do not only with God's will and our faith like many Westerners customarily assume, but the will of various created invisible beings who exist above us and below God? Is it, are we affected, is our prayer life affected by spiritual forces that are between us and God? Because that's what Daniel's teaching. If we read it straightforward and affirm this reality, then we have to recognize and at least affirm the fact that there there are powerful angelic beings that exist that have the ability to cooperate with God or against God. Spiritual warfare. This is the Old Testament. And this challenges our Christian view, doesn't it? Our, Our very, our like, are the underlying safeguard we all possess about what God's like. So you're going through a hard time, and your friends are wanting to be there for you. And hey, I'm praying for you. Don't worry, God's in control. Interesting. That's an interesting choice of words. I received a lot of this when I was going through. My wife and I were going through a hard time. Is God in control? think about that for a moment in this story god's will of answering the prayer of daniel is impacted by cosmic evil forces that oppose his instant delivery of this message i do not believe god is in control and i think we need to defeat that assumption for theology it's not it's a it's a cop out don't god is sovereign okay god's sovereign God has ultimate power and the final word. He will work all things out for the good of those who believe. That doesn't necessarily mean you won't die on a cross for his cause. God will restore and renew all of the cosmos, according to Ephesians, back to the, its original intention. He will, he will reconcile, bring things back together. He will restore, he will renew heaven and earth once and for all. That is the final say. But he is not the author of evil and destruction that's taking place in our world and around us. He, God did not cause the Holocaust. Does that make sense? He's not control. he's not determining that. So when you get in a car accident and you, you get hurt, I don't necessarily think God's trying to teach you something by doing that. You might learn some amazing lessons from God when that happens, but he didn't cause that. God, that would make God a Freddy Cougar, the ultimate nightmare. Now, now we're playfully laughing, but this is serious. This affects how we pray and interact in the Word. God has the final say, ultimate authority over all things. He's defeated the enemy once and for all with Jesus on the cross. We'll talk about that next week. But how things get worked out and play, there is a lot of improvisation going on. A lot of partnership. You see, God intended in Genesis 1 and 2 for us to partner with him in stewarding and having dominion and reign over creation. We gave that to Satan in Genesis 3. Jesus comes and takes it back from, uh, from Satan in the Gospels, in the cross, ultimately. And guess who Jesus gives it back to? His followers. So we need to, we need to step into some maturity here. Don't text somebody, God's in control, I'll pray for you. Because you're not going to pray for him if God did that. Right? Instead, get on your knees and say, I am so sorry you are suffering. I have no idea what that's like. Or maybe you do. I know what that's like. I'm going to pray these prayers for you every day and commit to it because I want to intercede that God will send angels to tend you like it says in Mark chapter one when Jesus goes into the wilderness and the angels said, I will be on my knees so that you are not burdened. I will bring meals over to you. I will make sure there's not a financial cost for your car because that's what we do as family. Not, God's in charge. It's cool. Are you with me? Yeah, preach. Come on. All right. So some of you have to this is what I mean by breaking down some paradigms. This is going to mess you up, but this is, what, this is what we do. This is what happens if we're going to take spiritual warfare seriously. Let me just re- reference this, and we'll talk about it next week. So Jesus says, when you pray, pray God's kingdom come on earth, or God's kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That assumes his kingdom, his rule and reign, his way of life, and his will is not everywhere on earth. When you see Poverty, human trafficking, forced labor, when you see chronic homelessness, racism, that's systemic evil. That is a cosmic force laced upon, we'll talk about that in a second, laced upon nations, governments, and communities that we as Christians have to recognize and intercede and work in our little tiny spheres, our little gardens, our little kingdoms. To bring God's way of life. That's why we pray. When we pray that prayer, that's not like some little nice prayer. That is a battle cry against the kingdom of Satan. Are we preaching? So that's the Old Testament in a nutshell. A couple of thoughts with the Old Testament. Is the Old Testament simply assumes the presence of individual spiritual beings like human beings clearly have a mind and a will of their own. They can choose to work with God or against him. Now, remember, I just got to keep disclaiming this. Not everything is the cause of demonic spiritual attack. Can we please, let's not be crazy and say everything's the spirit of, uh, there's a spirit behind everything. That's not biblical. You can't, there's not like, there's not a spirit of anxiety, a spirit. Like I see that way of Christian. There's a way where you just get too far liberal with it. And everything everything is a spiritual attack. That's not the case. Sometimes you just have a cold, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're on your phone and you got in a car accident. It's not some divine plan to like train, it's, it was an accident, okay? Can we have that robust theology together? Because that's, that's, I mean, that's a healthier view. That's a more biblical view than some of this other stuff. And let's not deny the spiritual activity. And I think there's, there's some of us on both sides, but most of us aren't even engaging in it. I want to teach us to engage. Because um, you know what's so cool is because the goal, as I, as I walk around Long Beach, as I minister in the city, This city needs deliverance. There is spiritual oppression. It's demonic activity. There are strongholds over our city. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about the strongholds that I see. And we're going to pray for deliverance because it's in our church. This is good. I like this. This is good. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's just look at these real quick and then we'll land in Ephesians 6 and we'll have some practicals and then we'll just pray and worship together. Um, so 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. A couple of passages I'll read. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And whatever I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven. In other words, I'm just going to forgive everything. Make sure it's forgiven, okay? That's Paul literally. He's like, just make sure it's all forgi- I forgive, you forgive, we're all forgiven, okay? But this is why, in order... That Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. In a church community, unforgiveness is the greatest threat outside of gossip. It's when that guy didn't say hi to you at the coffee bar and then you didn't get invited and they see it posted on Instagram and you harbor that unforgiveness, that bitterness that turns to anger, that turns to unforgiveness over a long period of time. And then you just collect all sorts of injustice against people to keep that fire of unforgiveness alive. I just solved like 50% of our problems in our church. <laughs> and your family dynamic. Forgiveness doesn't mean you have to enter in relationship with them. It means you have to set yourself free. 2 Corinthians 10. Oh, this is for all the millennials in the church. Because I'm going to add this one line that is going to bring a whole new dimension to what Paul's saying. The weapons... And the weapons we second Corinthians ten verse four. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we've got a different kind of artillery. You with me? So we don't we don't show up to like spiritual warfare with fear or a timid kind of spirit. We show up with confidence. This is not about me. This is about God. He created this. Like I I love like Whenever I see like card readers and new age stuff, I'm always like, please look at me. Please let me go. You go, then I'll go. Because <laughs> I know who designed, like, go ahead, do it. My turn. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just, let's just, because there's no battle here. This is, this is easy stuff. So we demolish struggles. But look at what he says. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and emotion to make it obedient to Christ. Yes, brothers and sisters, we take our thoughts captive to make them obedient. Because how does the enemy come? He deceives us. He lies to us. We build build, um, buildings and skyscrapers in our lives of lies from the enemy. Insecurity, fear, false narratives. So we tear those down. We, we, we submit them to Christ and make them obedient to Christ. But brothers and sisters, the problem with our generation is because we feel it, we think it's truth. Just because you feel it doesn't make it true. It's real because you feel it, but it's not truth. And progressive liberal Christian theology will say the truest thing about you is the deepest thing within you. And Jesus says what comes from within is where sin comes from. What defiles you is not from outside, it's what's from within. So the Spirit comes to renew all of that. So the truest thing about you is Christ reigning in you. So brothers and sisters, submit those emotions that feel absolutely real and are real, but are not truth. I always tell people when they come forward, I I just want to have courage to make the right decision. Brothers and sisters... You don't need to feel courageous to act courageous. You could be scared the entire time and act with courage to break up with that boyfriend, to say no when everyone else is saying yes. You don't need to feel courageous, just be it. Fake it. Are you with me? We're preaching. First, First Peter 5, be alert and sober, uh, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. I want to talk about that line is so powerful because, uh, just real quick, a lion will will roar on the ground, the male lion will roar on the ground, and, and it creates this like reverberation, this reverb all over the ground, and the animals don't know where it's coming from, so they just scatter. It's chaos. And the female lions are the ones that attack, and they look for... Individual animals that are isolated and weak from the rest of the pack. Is that not how the enemy comes at our church? That's it. I mean, it's so true. Just, you just, I'm not part, I'm not in. You just don't show up on Sunday. Don't show up to community group. You just slowly isolate yourself. Every marriage I've seen end in our church started when couples stopped participating in the life of community. Always the precursor for divorce. Divorce. Ephesians 6.10, wow, I didn't realize I'm going to have all this stuff to say. Um, Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul is arguing that as Christians, we must remain faithful in Christ, stand our ground against the work of the devil, and remember remember our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual realities that are working against God's way of life in you and around you and those that participate in God's way of life. So he gives us these categories. I just want to quickly give us some education on this. So, um, and, and he just kind of summarizes it. They would have understood it as rulers. Like Caesar was opposing the church. And we read in Revelation that Satan is responsible for the beasts and stuff. So he's talking about literal kingdoms in this sense. It's not futuristic in Revelation. He's, t- he's literally talking about Satan is responsible for the persecution that was going on against the church. And so in Ephesians... Um, they would have understood this, this demonic activities behind the powers that are in charge. Um, and we'll talk about this in a second and next week a little bit. But there are personal, impersonal, and supra personal spiritual forces or evil forces um, that are at work. Personal, we'll call demons or fallen angels. They're individual beings that I, I like to say have assignments against people, communities, places. They're, they're, they're like angelic hosts. And so they have spiritual bodies and mind and will of their own. Then there are impersonal and suprapersonal, transcendent beings. Now stay with me. Transcendent forces that, that are working against God's activity on earth. And so how do you see that? What is, on a global scale, it's not like one demon is responsible for global poverty. But the global injustice of poverty is a supra-personal, a transcendent force that has opposed itself. We call it systemic evil. And we're not just talking about the post office and and DMV and stuff like that. But systemic... (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Can it all be like Amazon Prime? It'd just be so much more efficient. But like human trafficking, sex slavery... um, Chronic homelessness, what I was just saying, these, these are systemic evils that as Christians we have to intercede against for God's kingdom to break through. That there's zero poverty. No one's hungry. That there's no, there's no slavery going on. We work to see that in our lives. We pray for it in our lives. But those, that's what Paul's referring to. He's just like, wake up, guys. Wake up, church. There, the thing There are things behind the policies that are being created around the global slave movement that's happening. We have more slavery today than any time in human history. That's crazy to me. Racism is systemic evil. Our country, our city, as a church, we need to we need to be we need to go after racism. I'm so convicted. I want as a white male pastor who has extreme privilege and class. I need to be I need to I feel like God's calling me to study and to be prepared to to intercede, to speak out against racism wherever it is. Because we have to, as a church, embrace, this is the most diverse city in uh, in the United States. We should be unified and fighting for unity in race and class and everything above. And that's not gonna happen passively. It's gonna happen proactively. And it shouldn't just be ethnically diverse Leaders and communities leading the way. It needs to be everyone. Are you with me? It's a whole other conversation. That's for another series for another time. But I love what he says. He says, the struggle is not against flesh and blood. Spiritual warfare doesn't have to feel spiritual. Just uh, because we don't battle flesh and blood doesn't mean spiritual warfare doesn't come at us through flesh and blood. Spiritual warfare almost always feels like flesh and blood. Spiritual opposition can be emotional, mental, physical, and relational attack. We don't, we can't, it's like my wife and I fighting. It was like this moment where we're like, there are, there are spiritual realities that work in our marriage. The enemy hates marriage because it's a picture of God. Or Galatia, or Genesis chapter two. 2, two become one flesh. The word one is akkad, which is only referred to as God. God is one. So here's what I want to end with. um, Just to open us up to recognize the spiritual battles we might be fighting. Now, not everything is a spiritual battle. But I want to give you opportunity to see the way I've been kind of looking at and praying over our community over the last several weeks while I've been away. The ways I see the enemy comes at us. So here's the first way he's going to come after you is personally. So he's going to come after you personally. And the first place he goes is your identity. Constantly wants to undermine that you're a child of God whose you are that's what he did to jesus the devil comes to jesus after he's baptized and the father says you are the son whom i love and the first thing the devil says is if you really are the son of god prove it so your first and primary attack will be anchoring yourself in what's true so what what happened with faith today some of us are here and we can't even worship because we're covered with sin and shame we think we can't worship that's the enemy's lie my wife was just telling me this on, the, on our date last night. She's like, Darren, I had this amazing revelation this week where she compares her spirituality to mine, which is hard for her. She's a mom of two with an eight-week-old, not sleeping a lot and breastfeeding all the time and napping the baby on her all the time. Do you think she has alone time? No, she has no alone time. And she realized that she was coming to God like something was wrong with her because she hasn't been able to have devotions like I have in the morning. And she realized, God doesn't see me like that. God, God like knows exactly what stage I'm in, she said, and he loves it. And so I'm just realizing now, I'm just offering the, the quiet moments in the night, the quiet moment, the moment I could just recognize. It. I'm not reading books of the Bible right now. I'm a mom with an eight-week old, and God delights in that. I'm like, absolutely, that's who you are. Some of us need that today and it's okay. But the enemy's gonna create all sorts of lies and deception. He'll deceive you. Then he'll bring anxiety and fear. He'll, he'll redirect your life with fear. Um, and then the, I feel like this is, this is going to be controversial. I feel like the enemy's coming at us through distraction and busyness. And here's what I mean by that. It doesn't have to be spiritual. It doesn't have to be a spiritual attack, I mean. But our distraction, when we go about our ordinary life on our phones, wondering what other people think, wondering what other people are doing, being disconnected from the place around us, hinders us from bringing God's way of life wherever we are. So maybe God wanted you to give a word to that person in front of you at Starbucks, but you weren't paying attention. You were just looking on your phone. How great of a deception is that for the enemy to use that tactic? He's clever. Keep you focused on yourself rather than the people around you so you can't do what God wants you to do. Um, that's, that's perspective. What's the other stuff? Oh, busyness, uh, temptation and sin. This is a huge one just struggling with, our, with sin and struggling with the same sins. And he's just gonna keep you focused because that's just gonna destroy your witness to the world. That's like the easy one. Once he gets you caught up in pornography and lust addiction or substance abuse, um, hiding those things from your spouse or just constantly hiding, then he wins. You're not gonna show up ever. You're not gonna be useful in the kingdom. It's not about Works of righteousness, it's about being useful, right? And then physical health, the enemy will come at you physically. Sometimes it's the, it's the work of the enemy that makes you sick and hurt and pain and chronic. I've seen it so many times. I'll pray for healing for people, pray like the same prayer like eight times. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I got to pray that I bind the work of the enemy and I'll pray for the, the bind of, binding of the work of the enemy and like the pain's gone. So, I just cover the basis now all the time. I'm just like, God, would you heal? It could just be, you know, cause and effect. It could be the work of the enemy. Does that make sense? You see how we're holding it loosely? There's no law in this. The second thing is, he's going to come after your relationships. Uh, he'll isolate you, he'll create miscommunication, misunderstanding, bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. That's. That's the kind of the trio. It starts with ang- uh, bitterness, misunderstanding. It moves to anger, and then it moves to unforgiveness, or anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, in that order. Um, and then briefly, I just want to talk about marriages because I felt like the Lord was saying I, the enemy's coming after marriages at the garden. Here's how it comes at the garden. Check this out, uh, or in general, for you, those that are married. Do we have married couples here? Raise your hand. Okay, so give me some amens on this. Now, not everything is a demon, okay, but pay attention. The way the enemy comes at my wife and I is miscommunication. It's just, yeah, you can get amens all day long. You, and and what, it leads to misunderstanding, which leads to the other stuff, the anger, bitterness, pettiness. Um, and then it, that, so bef- the obvious thing is sin and unfaithfulness, okay? So stay with me. The obvious thing is the enemy wants to destroy your marriage through sin and unfaithfulness. Clearly he wants to do that. But the, what happens underneath that is the scorecard. Or the comparison, like right now, it's so funny. I try to compare what I'm doing versus what Alex is doing. And she just has a baby nursing on her. And she's like, really? You're doing more than me? Like, I'm keeping this baby alive. And what did you do? You unloaded the dishes. Good job. (laughs) There's no comparison. Bill said it best. He said, the enemy wants you to be like this in your marriage, but God wants you to be like this. You're on the same team. And then my wife last night was talking about this. She's like, the, I, was, I, was, I was asking for advice on our date night for this topic and she's like, the, the way I see the enemy working is like the silent killer. It's where over a long period of time you become roommates with your spouse rather than intimate, passionate lovers. Which is so true. You start off passionate, you're engaged, and then you get married, and you're in love, and then you get a job, you both get jobs, and then you have a kid, and then you buy a house, and then you have another kid, and then all of a sudden your energy is just spread, and you become roommates somewhere along the line. And it's not one thing, it's a million things at once. It's a million paper cuts, and all of a sudden you're so far away from your spouse, you don't have intimacy, and the enemy wins because the two are no longer one. And then the other way is busyness, anxiety fear worry physical health um and and that's i just want to show this stuff because i just feel like i have a whole thing on children we'll look at that later how the enemy comes at us at parents as parents but i just want to summarize with this you guys aren't too bored are you okay there are spiritual forces working to destroy and oppose god's way of life within you and around you this is what i want to teach about this is what we have to recognize We must stand firm, knowing our battle is not flesh and blood, even though it regularly feels like flesh and blood. We must live and operate with this awareness, and through prayer and putting on the armor of God, we will stand firm together as community as we move God's way of life forward on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to invite you to engage differently. Have a different paradigm, a spiritual warfare worldview. Live in faith and walk this out. This is part one of a four-part series, so I'll leave you hanging until next week. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.